Let's read. This is a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. I want to jump right into it, and I pray that the Lord will stir up our hearts and that we can carry it on out of here. So Matthew chapter 13, or chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You probably know it very well. Where Jesus is in the, in, in the teaching in the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, in this passage, the focus, if you, if you look at it, you got to sometimes zoom back. Sometimes we get lost in details, uh, is this kingdom that's coming. In fact, even in the part where Jesus teaches us to pray, he tells us as we start off, as we start off focused on God and who he is, our Father who is in heaven, and we hallow, we worship his name, we, we hallow him, he's set apart from everything. He teaches us to focus then in praying on next God's program, not just his person, but his program, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. So this whole thing of the coming kingdom, there is a kingdom that's coming. It's one that will put down all other kingdoms that have ever been or ever will be forever. It is the climax of all of Scripture, the teaching about it. And it is both the apex and the conclusion of what you and I call time. It is the kingdom of heaven, also called the kingdom of God. Uh, John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, and then later when Jesus came on the scene on planet Earth, they both were proclaiming what? The kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so it, it, it fulfills the prophecy. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy that started all the way back in the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, after, because God loved us, he created human beings differently than all the rest of the critters and creatures and whatever that he created, right? Because human beings were made in what? You can answer. I mean, it's, it's, this is, we're just having Bible lesson, you know? We're having worship time, you know? It's not just you coming to see a thing here. Uh, he made us how? In his image, made in the image of God, and God made us differently, Not as we've talked about so many times, not to operate on instinct or be programmed like robots or puppets or whatever, but to have a real love relationship with the Creator. That's why He gave us that free will. That's why when there's love, there has to be choice. If you have no choice, you're just programmed. And so for us to be able to have a real love relationship with God, there had to be the option of not having that and rejecting Him. Obviously, some of the, I mean, obviously the angels were created with it. At least we don't understand much about it because he didn't tell us much about it. But some semblance of a free will because some of them actually rebelled and they are lost forever. But with human beings, it is all different. 
that even though God knew that we would make the wrong choice and that choice would cause us to be corrupted by sin and God being so perfect and heaven being such a perfect place, he couldn't just ignore or overlook that. Even before, as he calls it, the foundation of the world, before he even spoke the first words of creation, which were what? Let there be light. Even before that, God had a plan. And he reveals that to us, and right off the bat, right after the first people sinned in Genesis 3.15, he said that the seed of the woman will come and will crush the enemy's head. And I'm kind of paraphrasing all of that. And we know that there's something special going to happen because the way God designed things to work, and he's already talked about the way he created the plants and the trees and seed time and harvest, And we know that the male has the seed, the female has the egg. But he said the seed of the woman, even prophesying and foretelling the virgin birth. And so all the Old Testament is a gradual unfolding of this incredible love story and this plan that the God of the universe had to ceaselessly, you might even say, as the song said, recklessly, which means just without a, just, just to cast aside everything and with abandon, he came after us and he came to rescue us. That whole story begins to unfold, unfold in all of the prophecies. Now they're coming into fulfillment as John the Baptist shows up on the scene and now the very one that was prophesied who's going to be the deliverer, the Messiah, the coming king, And it turns out that he's real, a real person, and he's really fully human and in the flesh. But it also turns out that it's God himself. God himself is going to be our deliverer. And he, God the Son, comes. And as Jesus came, he's preaching this same message, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is a kingdom that begins in us and among us, but will one day be literal and forever. And Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. All of these sins that have been represented symbolically through all of the sacrifices that we have record of in Scripture, all the way back to Abel, all the way through Abraham, and to Jacob and Isaac, and then to Moses, and was spelled out under the law. Jesus said, I came to fulfill, not to cancel, but to fulfill all of that. And he did when he died on the cross to pay our sin debt. When he died on the cross to cover our sin. And he didn't just, and I needed that, amen? And he knows all things because he's God and he knows about all of the ways that we fall short. And he paid the price for that. I needed that. But I didn't just need my sins atoned for and covered and paid for. I need the ability to live a new life. And so he didn't just die on the cross, he rose again. And so his Death on the cross pays for my sin. His resurrection not only guarantees my future resurrection that is associated with his, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, but it also guarantees not just my resurrection someday, but my resurrection now into a new person. I can become that because he's given his presence to live in me. Now, the kingdom, as it first appeared here when Christ showed up on the scene, it was different than a lot of the scholars and the leaders thought it would be at that time, right? But you know what? Ever since Jesus rose from the grave, ever since he ascended back to the Father's right hand, ever since the day of Pentecost, as his presence was poured out on his people, God has been calling people out of this lost world and into his kingdom. That's the good news. That is what we call the gospel. By the way, the word church 
In the original language the New Testament was written in, of Koine Greek, is the word ekklesia. And it literally means the called out. And so that's what we are. We are the called out ones that form this body of Christ in this world. We are now the visible representation of that gospel message and of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this present world. Jesus is here, but he's not visibly, physically here, but yes, he is through his people. And it's amazing to me that the very ones that he's chosen to use to build his kingdom are people who are sinners saved by his grace who come by faith to him, messed up, broken people, and he always has that. He All through the Old Testament, and even today, it's people like us who have been saved by his grace, transformed by his presence and power, taught by his word that he wants to use to build his forever kingdom, to build his church. It's just amazing to me that he's using people like us. I mean, that's what we're about here, Amen. It's not just about meeting on our, in our building on Sundays and just doing our thing. It's not about just religion, about our attempts to appease some deity or go through some ritual. It is about the kingdom of God here and now in our hearts, flowing through our lives, and about this forever kingdom that's coming anytime now, that there's coming a day. The Bible's very clear about, even the Old Testament prophesied about, that he is going to appear. He is coming back. He will come again. And that there is coming a day that this world will be judged. There's coming a day that all nations will come and bow before him. Every tongue confess, yes, it is true that he is Lord. He is God. That day's coming. For some, it'll be forever too late, just like it was during the days of the flood when Noah preached the message of salvation and everyone scoffed and they mocked him and they would rather have their darkness and their sin than God's truth through his person that he was speaking it through. And the door was open until the day came that God himself closed the door of the ark. And when God shuts it, no man can open it. So the door's open right now. We're living in the church age as we call it, the age of grace. Any who, come, any who will, all who will, whosoever may come. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been. You may come to Christ. And he wants a personal relationship. Think about it. He's the one that made us. He's the creator, the designer. I'm never going to find how life can click. I'm never going to find my purpose until I find it through the one who made me. I'm never going to really know myself until I get to know the one who made me. I was made by him. You were made by him. And you were made for him. And you're never going to find your purpose until you come. But he loves you so much, he lets you make that decision. So even now, God is working through people like us who are empowered by his very presence in us, through God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and through his word that he's given us. Through these things right now, he's using us. And even now, his kingdom is like no other. Even now, his kingdom that is existing in this world is turning this world upside down, just like it did in the beginning. And right now, that there, you need to know this, that there are people from pretty much every nation on the planet that are fellow citizens with us in that kingdom. They are our brothers and our sisters from every part of the globe. And that was the thing that Jesus said before he ascended, before, before, before he went to the cross even. 
in, in Matthew 24, he said that the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, will be preached to all nations as a witness, and then the end will come, when they were asking about when the end will come. This is the thing. So we're looking around at our world that we live in, and our culture that we have in, in, in the United States of America, and we see how things have changed so much in just so few years. And it seems like the pandemic, as we call it, just hit the accelerator on a lot of these things. And there are things that are happening now, and there are things going on that we wouldn't have really thought possible 10 years ago. Okay, And so um, you have to ask what kind of impact are, is, are the people of God, are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, his church, having right here where we live, because sometimes it's easier to think, well, let's just pray for those in foreign lands who have never heard the gospel, but we're not willing to impact people who live right around us. In fact, we may be impacting them, but it's not a good, it's not a good impact. It's a negative one. And so there's a problem here. The problem is we're not having the impact that we should be having. And uh, we should be living and thinking radically different in a radically different way than those who are still lost in the darkness of this world. I mean, Jesus has just, I'm setting this up still. Can you believe it? I can't believe how much time. 15 minutes has passed, and I'm still setting this up. Come on, are you with me? All right, because most of it is about the setup. Uh, uh, but Jesus has already been hammering away on this in this Sermon on the Mount. As he begins to talk about his kingdom, it's, it's what some call an upside-down kingdom. It's, it's upside-down from what the world would usually do. You know, he talks to his disciples later about how the rulers of this world, they want to rule over and lord over everybody, you know. And he says, not that way among you. The greatest among you will be your what? Servant. It's a whole different attitude. Hey, let me tell you something. Teenagers, young people, whoever you are, you want to be rebellious? You want to be different? You want to be radical? Then live the way Jesus says. You're going to be radical. You're going to be different. It's amazing to me how young people want to be so different by looking and acting like every other person, young person, right? But, but the thing is, if you do this, you're going to be radical. You're going to be different. Uh, and that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, there's so many problems in life that we have in our relationships and in our families and with crime and in our society would be solved if most of us just lived the way the Bible teaches us to live. I mean, a lot of these big issues wouldn't even be issues at all, right? It wouldn't be issues at all if we just did. But most of, well, none of us have, but we need to be with God's presence in us. We need to be, as Jesus says here, when he's producing fruit and that, that, that shows forth the way Jesus said to live, and it's going to, be, it's going to make an impact. It's going to have an influence, and it has an, an impact, and it has an, an effect. But this whole kingdom attitude is so different than what the world knows because he starts out here in the beati- what we call the beatitudes. This is an attitude that ought to be. I guess I don't know why they call it that. Be at the attitude you should be. But that's what we call them. And it's so different because he starts off talking about the poor in spirit. He's talking about humility. And the world says, you know, one up everybody. And everybody's trying to be an influencer. And everybody's all, but he says the poor in spirit, those who humble themselves. Uh, theirs is what? What? I mean, it's right there. You turn to Matthew chapter 5. By the way, we've got notes online. Went to a trouble to put them on there, so use them, right? If you're a version app, you can pull up our notes today. These verses are on there. Uh, not all of these, but some of them. Anyway, the, 
He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. That's what we're talking about. I told you this was the focus. And he just hammers away at that about as he goes through these about inheriting the earth. What do you think that's talking about? Have you read about the new heavens and the new earth and new Jerusalem? And, and as Christ rules and reigns, all of that. And he talks about all of us being sons of God, which has to do with all of us being heirs of God. And then he talks about those who are persecuted because theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven and on and on. And so now as he's coming into this, he's showing us that th- this, this is... This is how, if you and I are for real, and if we're really following him, and if this is coming out of our lives, there is no way we can keep from making an impact on the world around us. Because then the next thing he says is, you are. He doesn't say you should become or you might be. He says you are. If you're a Christ follower, this is who you are. And I don't need everybody else trying to tell me who I'm supposed to be and who I am. And and I'm not going to listen to their lies. I want the creator and my savior to be the one who tells me who I am. And I want to believe that. And he says, you are. Not could be, should be, but if you really follow me, this is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. Now, take a breath. Because he says that we are to... uh, have an impact. Now, the word impact means to have a strong effect in this world. Now, sometimes I think we're not making a very big impact. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, let's talk about in the light of the world. Let's talk about our world just a little bit, why it needs to be impacted. Because the Bible tells us that the whole world lies under the control of the evil one. If you, the Bible is clear, if you just go the way of culture usually, if you just go the way everybody's going, if you're just on the broad road, as Jesus said, there's really two roads. There's a broad one that leads to destruction and a very narrow one that leads to life. And only few seem to want to find the one to life. A lot of people fall into deception and they just get on that broad road and they're just following everybody else. But that this world system has been corrupted. When human beings sinned, it brought a curse on the earth itself and on human beings. We've been cursed by sin. We have a sin nature. The flesh is cursed. And even though you're saved and you're a new person in Christ, you still live in sin-cursed body. You have to deal with it. You feel that struggle at times? Well, I do. And you live in a sin-cursed world. I got to deal with a bunch of other sin-cursed people, you know, and just a sin-cursed planet, Right? So, but, but that's why there's a struggle. But if you're just following the world, you need to know that the world lies under the control of the evil one. This world, as the old hymn you say, is not a friend uh, to God to lead us closer to him. I can't remember which song that is. But anyway, it just popped in my mind and right out my mouth, as things tend to do sometimes. Uh, here's what. Let's get some scripture. You ready to get some scripture? Let's document this. John tells us in 1 John five nineteen, we know that we are of God. He's talking to those who have come to Christ by faith. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Lies under the control, the power. There's different ways to translate that. That's from the New King James. The world is lost, the Bible describes it, in darkness. The very first word of creation was what? Let there be what? Light. So God and his truth is represented all through Scripture from 
right there in the beginning, all the way through as light. And the absence of God and his truth is darkness. This world is in darkness. Um, in fact, uh, in John chapter 3, verse 19, this is what Jesus said. He said, and this is the judgment. Here it is. Light has come into the world. He's talking about himself. And God's truth. He said, the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. What does light do? Light exposes what's in the darkness. One thing we talked about last week, that people don't like. The Pharisees didn't like it. Our people who claim to be atheists don't like it. They don't like to be told that they fall short, that they are Here's the word that they miss the mark of God's perfection, that they are sinners. You mean to tell me that I'm a sinner? I'm not telling you. I'm just saying, if you believe this book, this book is telling you. We all sin. But this is why people love the darkness, because they don't want that exposed. They just want. And this is what's happening all around us. People just want to be, they just want to live in a daze. They just want to live in a daze. They want to be, and, and that's why there's, and that's another reason why there's such a problem with people being intoxicated or high. It really is. We want to just, we just want to numb ourselves. And Satan loves it. And I know we keep, we're probably, I mean, people are probably going to want to legalize even more stuff because we've got to, we've got to dope ourselves up more to make us think everything's okay because it's not. Enough, but you know what I'm saying? And if you don't think those are serious issues, you need to show up on Tuesday nights for about a month. And you need to see how these things cause so much damage in so many people's lives. And I've never heard someone say, you know, my plan from the beginning was to destroy my life and my family and my career and my health with alcohol and drugs. I've never heard anybody say that. Most of them never intended. But you see the bondage it can suck people into. And the damage that it does. Yeah, it, it, it is something. Uh, this is not kingdom living, right? He's called us out of that and to hear those testimonies. And so the world is lost in darkness. And not only that, but he tells us in John uh, chapter 1, in the very beginning, it says, in him Christ. He's talking about Christ. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's talking about Jesus. And later on he says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. But he's talking about Jesus. In him, Christ, was life. And that life is the light of mankind, all humanity. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And it never will. Light always. Listen to me. You might think, well, boy, the forces of darkness are getting so powerful. It may seem that way, but no, they're not. Darkness will never overpower light. It's dark in this room right here. If I open that door, darkness doesn't come in. Light goes in there. Darkness doesn't come in and put out light. Light expels darkness. Light is always more powerful. And the world, as I said, is under the curse of sin. The world is decaying. That curse brought decay. See, before sin, and this is my opinion, I don't find any evidence in Scripture that there was decay. I mean, Adam and Eve didn't age. They didn't die. There's no in, 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 you know, that, that, that plants or any. I don't know. 
I wasn't there. But I'm just saying from Scripture, I don't find any evidence that there was any decay or death because the Bible says death came because of what? Romans chapter 5, sin. Sin is what brought death into the world. That before sin, there was no death. God told Adam and Eve, the day that you disobey, you will die. Death came because of sin. So I think there was no death and there was no probably even decay as we know it. That was part of the curse. Part of the curse has caused that. Um, and so uh, this world is a decaying world. The second law of thermodynamics rules, right? That all systems tend, tend to go from order to disorder. Unless you keep putting energy back in, they tend to go from complex to simple. This is what we can observe in science. This is not a theory. This is a law that things tend to want to break down to simpler form without energy being put in. Begin to decay. I'm decaying right now in front of your very eyes. I feel like we begin to fall apart. You know, that new car, it starts to fall apart. It starts to rust. Um, of course, if you believe in the theory, did you hear the difference between the word law and the word theory? The theory of evolution has everything going the opposite way, from the simple to the complex, and everything we observe has it going the other way. But this is a world of decay. Moral decay as well as physical decay is all around us. And so uh, this curse is a reality here. All that is in the world then is not of God. And uh, let's get some more scripture up there. So this is the truth about our world. Uh, it is under the control of the evil one. The world is in darkness. It is under a curse and is decaying. And all that is in it is not from God. Those are in your notes, but you might want to take note of that and meditate on it. 1 John 2, 15, he says, do not love the world. Talking about this whole world system or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then you can't love. Jesus said it. You can't, you know, you can't serve God and mammon or this world system. You can't love the world and love the Father at the same time. Something's going to give, right? He says, if you love are in love with this present world, the love of the Father is not in them. So what what happens then? What happens then? Um, he goes on to tell us all that is in the world, and he describes it. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the best it has to offer. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. It's part of that curse. It's part of that sin. And the world is passing away. Did you get that? The world is not here to say. The, the world is not here to stay. The world is passing away. The Word of God lives and abides forever. Amen? Somebody ought to say amen. I'm just saying it. Amen myself. I'm preaching better than you're listening. The world is passing away and the lust of it. It's going to be nothing. If that's all your life is involved in, it's coming to nothing. He says, but he who does the will of God, he who does the will of God, lives and abides forever. I want to be on that side, don't you? I do. Amen. I sure do. <clears throat> and then he says in John chapter uh, 15, so what can we expect from this world we live in? Jesus said, I've commanded uh, these things I command you, and here's the big command, that you love one another. Not an option, folks. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to take Jesus in my life for me to love some people. Amen? But I'm telling you, he can do it. He does it all the time. It's command that you love one another. And then he said, the world, if the world hates you, why are you so surprised? Because he says, it hated me before it hated you. So you're going to be 
misunderstood, you're going to be persecuted. That's going to be a given. But remember, he has overcome the world, right? I could have put that verse up there in chapter 16. What is it, verse 33? That in the world you've got tribulation, be a good cheer. I've overcome the world, right? More scripture. See, you might want to make notes in your notes. Put those in there, right? Yeah, you're going to help us out a little bit. Um, but I want to tell you something. All this talk about the world, here's something else scripture teaches us. The world matters. It does matter. And he's telling us we have a duty to the world in which we live. The world matters. The world is important. And that's why he tells us you are. You are like salt in this cursed earth. All right? So um, salt in a decaying world. That's what he says we are like. See, before refrigeration, right, Wayne? Amen. Before refrigeration, before we had electricity, you know, um, I don't know what, what Wayne did when he was a kid. You know, he put on a jacket in the wintertime and had that static electricity. What is that stuff? I don't know. Um, you know, and um, electricity, boys, changed a lot during your lifetime, hadn't it, Wayne? Uh, you know, uh, and, um, you know, uh, and the wheel, you remember that. That, that really changed things, too. But, um, but anyway, <laughs> before refrigeration, you know, you think about it in the culture and the time in which Jesus lived, uh, there was no way that you couldn't can things and you couldn't refrigerate things. Um, that if you had some meat, you know, you had to preserve it somehow or you had to eat it really fast because in a day or so, it's, 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 you, can't, you can't handle it. So this salt was necessary in their day. Salt was so valuable and important. It was necessary for preservation. It, it does add flavor or bite to food, but, and it also creates thirst. These are things that salt does. But it was so useful and important. Uh, it was one of the most important things you could have, uh, not just for the seasoning of food, but the main use was as a preservative. So you had a piece of fish or some meat that you couldn't eat right away. You take some salt and you rub on it. And we're not going to get into the scientific process of that, but it does dry it out. It creates kind of a seal, a crust around it. But anyway, it preserves it. It would keep the meat from decaying, right? And so uh, our ancestors used to do that. Many of you remember doing that as, as you uh, it, it all had, to, had the smokehouse, you know, and you had... The salt cured things, sugar cured things like that. Uh, that was the whole reason why. So it's a preservative. So when Jesus says we should live like salt of the earth, he's saying we should live a life that to the people around us is like salt. That we live a life in such a way that our very presence acts like salt in the world. That we have a preserving effect and we help stop the decay around us. Are you following this? And remember he said not that you can be the salt, but he says if you follow me, you are this. I mean, you don't have to pray to God to make me salt, really. And make me light. What you should say is just help me to follow you. Because if I'm following you, I automatically am salt and light. Because he said you are. So what you need to do is start shaking and start shining. A whole lot of shaking going on. Amen? Jerry Lewis. But anyway, that's not Jesus. But, but you get it. You know what we're talking about. Our world is decaying so fast. We're in need of some salt. Amen? Uh, you know, even think about the world we live in. I can just talk about where I live. Uh, in Missouri, in Wright County, United States of America, 
where would we be if it wasn't for the preserving effect of people who want to follow God's teaching and God's light? Where would it be? So we do have a preserving effect. Well, what if, man, I thought, you remember that story about Rip Van Winkle? What if Rip Van Winkle, what is he, fell asleep for 20 years and he woke up? He didn't know any time had passed. What if Rip Van Winkle fell asleep 20 years ago? When was 20 years ago? Like in the 1980s? No, it was, it was in the 2000s. Oh, man. 20 years isn't what it used to be, right? But even then, and woke up and was like around here now, he'd be shocked, wouldn't he? I mean, how about five years ago? The changes that have happened, is, is, it's amazing. Uh, think of how a world is, people, you know, look at the problems that we're dealing with. And even, you know, and politics is not the answer, folks. Government is never going to solve these problems, okay? Now, here we have something amazing in this country, that we have freedoms. And we can voice our opinion about these things openly, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, you can get banned from Twitter but, and Facebook, but you can still speak it, right? There are a lot of places you can't. You can't speak out against the government or whoever's in power. Or you can be thrown in prison. Did you know that? So we've got something that's valuable there to have that freedom, no matter how your opinion is, that you have the freedom to believe what you want to believe, and you can say it. You should be able to, right? Um, we have the ability to worship God and to live his truth and we even have an ability to vote. Now, I know sometimes there's been a lot of this, stuff, this election going on or, you know, are they doing it right and all this. But there are a lot of nations out there that have elections and everybody knows from the beginning that it's just a mockery and a fake. We have a little bit more of a real election and thank God for that. And we do have a duty to that. We have a responsibility to that. We really do. Uh, and if we don't use it, we may lose it. So here's the thing. But that's not how ultimately we're going to solve our problem. I think a lot of people think, well, if we just get this person in office or if we just do that, that has never solved our problems. Here's how it happens, is that when you're like salt and you're like light and it impacts the people you live with, it, it impacts the people who live around you. And it impacts the people with whom you work or with whom you go to school. And you're just one person. You don't maybe impact a lot of people. But if we all are doing that all across this community and all across this state and this nation and this world, all of a sudden we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And all of a sudden it does impact individual lives on an individual level. And all of a sudden it can change. Our whole society. And this is what Jesus is talking about. Now, um, we're not just to salt our own little spot. He says assault of the earth. It is to spread out. But it starts right where we are. That doesn't mean that you go up to your loved one or neighbor and dump a salt load, dump truck load of salt on them. They shrivel up like a slug. I've heard a different analogy not from Jesus, but from a preacher. It said Christians are also maybe, this is not Bible, okay, so don't quote me that way, that a lot like manure. Now, I grew up around manure. Don't look at me like that. Most of you did too. You had cows, you had, you know, pigs and sheep, livestock, right? So I can remember dad 
when you make us boys go scoop the lot, which I'm sure I probably had to do a lot more work than Russ did, right? We're just going to get that out there. You know, I said probably, so, you know. Um, uh, but anyway, you know, you, and, and it's, remember the springtime of the year and the cows are eating all the green grass and things get a little different consistency. And, you know, if you're a little guy and you're trying to scoop and throw up into the manure wagon, some of you are so into this story more than anything I've told yet. And you throw it up in there. If, you're not, if you don't do it right, it'll kind of get right back down on you. But anyway, but, but a lot of times we're a lot like manure. If you pile manure up in one place, all it does is stink. But if you spread it out real good, it fertilizes. I mean, that, that's the illustration. I thought that was pretty good, but that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. But, he's, but the same thing with salt. If you just pile it in one spot, it doesn't, but it needs to be, it needs to be salted. Uh, you need to salt all of it around you. And so this is what he's saying that we need to do. Now, salt doesn't draw attention to itself. Why? Well, I won't go around saying, wow, you know. I've never heard someone go to a meal and say, you know what? This chicken is good, but boy, the salt is amazing. This is great salt you have here. Never heard anyone say that. Salt doesn't draw attention to itself. All right? We need to quit that. We got so many, too many celebrity Christians. We need to just actively be making an impact. Not drawing attention to ourselves, but drawing attention to Christ. Now, salt is a stable compound, but he talks about losing its saltiness. I don't know whether he's just saying a what if here. What if it did? Then it wouldn't be worth anything good. But one of the main ways salt could become ineffective is if it's mixed with uh, impurities then you're pretty limited on what you can do with it. In fact, it may just need to be thrown out on the street, is what Jesus says. If you look at a Christian who's absorbed the world system, you'll see a tasteless, saltless, non-impacting person. God never intended for us to be that way. We spread a little bit every day by our lifestyle. I mean, this is the way it happens, not by some evangelistic crusade. They're good and they have their place, but the main way is through our daily lives. No substitute for that. So here, are you having that effect on others? Are you creating a thirst in others for God? Do they ever wonder how you can love, how you can forgive, why you're so courteous? Or are you just like everybody else? We have our salt shaker meetings, but the salting of the earth doesn't happen in here. It happens out there, all right? So get out there and start shaking. All right, the last thing is we are the light of the world. All right? We are a light in a world of darkness. See, we are like salt in a decaying world, and we're like light in a dark world. You following that? Uh, this is what Jesus says that we are. Um, you are the light of the world, like a city that is set upon the hill. He's called us to be light. Letting our light shine is, is having what Christ is doing in our lives and the truth about God that he, he teaches us come through our life. Uh, people want to know what's going on in our life. Uh, what God wants to do we're, and what God is doing, we make it known. The light is the message of Christ. It's the gospel. You don't have light and hide it. If you've got light, the reason why you have it is so it can illuminate darkness. The whole reason why you have light is so that you can be a light to the darkness around you. And you might say, well, boy, you just don't know how dark it is around me. I thought if it was really a dark day, we would just close the curtains and kill all the lights. I would have a little candle up here. And then, but once we kill the lights, you would see how bright that candle is. When it's darkest is when the light shows up the brightest. Okay? So that's the way God wants to work in our lives. 
Now, some of us only shine the light on each other's, but he said we're to be also the light of the world. We just have lighthouse parties. Let's just come and let's just shine our light on each other. That's not what he said. He said you're the light of what? That lost world that lies under the sway of the evil one, that world that is in darkness, right? Are you, are you with us? Come on now. So let's quit wasting time. Let's get out there and carry the light to the darkness instead of just and we, we've got to come together to be equipped to do the work of the ministry, but the work of the ministry happens out there. This is where we're equipped for it. That's where it happens. There was an old preacher, and his name was C.T. Studd. What a name. He once said this, quote, Some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell, end quote. Man, what passion. And he was a passionate servant of God. So if your environment's dark, what an opportunity to let. You don't even have to have a whole lot of light to, for it to look bright. Oh, by the way, being the light of the world doesn't mean you just go up to them and shine it in their eyes and blind them all the time. Right? Just live. Amen? Just live. If it's real, they're going to notice it like a city set on the hill. It'll drive them nuts wondering why you're not like they are or how you've changed you don't have to have neon flashers. That's not the light of somebody announcing uh, that you walk in the light. They'll see it. They'll know it. It's going to be different, right? Just do it. You never find Jesus trying to devise ways to draw a crowd. People were attracted to him because of who he was and because he was so different. This is what the world will see, he says. They will see what? How good you are. No. They will see... Good works coming out of your life. That surprises them. What will they do? They will see good works. What will they do? They will glorify God, he said. So what are these good works? They are every visible manifestation of Christ's life being lived out in you. And the result will be God will receive glory, not us. So um, how this works really quickly. You can think of it this way. Salt... There's like a negative and a positive effect. Salt is like the negative influence, meaning it works against something. And it's working against the moral and cultural decay that's going on in our very own lives and in our families and in our society. Okay? You follow that? It works against that. Light works towards something of illuminating God's truth into those who don't understand it. So this means being a passive observer of our culture is not an option. John Stott once said, One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question is, where's the salt? We think and now we act like a Bible-believing Christian. It's not a matter of how I feel about certain issues. Now it's what is the light coming through me, coming to me. My approach should be not how I feel, it's what does the Bible say. And we see people that come from a lot of different backgrounds. And, and, and they may not be straight on all these things. The first thing they need to know is who Jesus is and who they are and what he's done to save them and what they need to do to receive that salvation. As they grow in Christ and as they come to know what his word teaches, then we begin to look, and I'm still doing it, of areas where my attitude and my life doesn't match up to this. I need to change to be like he teaches. We've got to give people the opportunity to grow into that. There may be some views that we've politicized that are different, but we've got to help people grow into it. 
We're, we're more worried about their views on certain things, about whether they know who Christ is or not. And we cut some people off from the gospel if we're not careful. And we're not doing kingdom work when we're that way. And by the way, the kingdom of God is more than the United States of America. It encompasses the whole world of all time. So here's what I should, what it means. When it comes to issues like sanctity of human life and how life should end and when it begins, my question should be, what does it mean to think biblically about that? What does that mean? What does it mean to think biblically about immigration and these people are real people with real souls who need Jesus and, and how should we respond to that? Um, what does it mean to think biblically about issues of marriage and relationship and gay marriage and gender identity? What does it mean to think biblically about that? I mean, we don't even think scientifically about it anymore. I mean, what's true in science for, for cows and walruses and rhinoceroses and all of our mammals somehow all of a sudden isn't true for human beings. But, 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 but I, I want to know what does it mean to think biblically about these things? What does it mean to think about the poor biblically? See, I want to get in here and learn that because this is light. And I work toward having a Christian worldview. Now, worldview is a key word. It has to do with this, your set of ideas by which you judge other ideas, how you view the world, how you view life, how you view eternity. It's how you engage the vast range of human thought and creation from a Christian biblical perspective. In this mindset, the Lord will use you to make an impact. Now, get out there and shake and shine. So, this is who you are. It's not simply what you do. Back up. You are the salt. You are the light. Are you still hanging in there? Come on. Huh? Yes, you are. It's not just what you do. It's who you are. It flows from who you are. So don't, don't feel like you got to overdo it. Don't feel like you got to do it all by yourself. Resist the urge to talk about how salty you are, how bright you are. Just live it. Don't try to leave people the impression that you walk on water. Just let them get thirsty. Amen? And we have the water of life. That's a whole nother sermon. But don't hold back either. Don't hold back. Get busy spreading the salt, shining the light in ways that only God can do through your life. But in some ways that you may not even realize you're just living your life for the Lord and it's just going to be happening. It's not hard. You don't have to have a special class to learn how to do it. You just stay in this book and you keep applying this to your life. And this keeps going on as long as you live and as long as you can learn and understand. And don't worry about those who resist. Don't worry about the results. Some of the ones who persecute the worst are the ones who embrace it the most passionately later. You don't know. You just keep being salt and being light. That's the only part you're responsible for. God will take care of the rest. Amen? Father, help.